Hey there, and welcome to Radio Free Bay Ridge, your hyper-local progressive podcast. And uh, I think today we're going to really lean into the progressive side of things. Joining me in our virtual Zoom studio, Rachel, how's it going? Hey, it's going well. I think we're going to lean heavy into government accountability today. Um, all right, all this right. Is, this is beyond partisan politics. This is how we are represented and how we do <laughs> or do not get a whole bunch of really cool things in New York State. And what happens when the people who make those decisions get elected to Congress and go continue maintaining their record? And if you can't tell, I'm really excited about this episode. Ooh, yeah, me too. Today we're focusing on Nicole Maliotakis. Um, this is kind of our first episode where we're just kind of doing a single politician uh, well, and critique. It's, and it's the first time we're really talking about Nicole Maliotakis because, let's face it, she has not been the most effective legislator in the history of our district. Yeah, and I'm someone who kind of had to live that. I know that among a lot of my friends, me and maybe one or two other people, actually lived in Nicole's old state assembly district. Um, Nicole mm -hmm. used to represent Bay Ridge, now represents all of Bay Ridge. Um, it was kind of a small sliver in the northern part. She was basically the South Shore, which I don't think it's too controversial to say a rather racist neighborhood. Um, <laughs> okay. We are not pulling punches today, folks. No, we're really not. You, like, yeah, I'm going to go into <laughs> I'm going to go into some of the horrible shit that the South Shore has seen over the last couple of years and how it relates to Maliotakis's records. But, you know, I've been represented by her for a long time and in the state assembly where she's lived out most of her public life and voted no on a lot of stuff. <laughs> no, voted no on a lot of stuff. And now it's really fun. I got to say, it's really fun to see her jump into the national oh spotlight. She's, she's so out of her depths. She was a medium-sized fish in a small pond in Albany. <laughs> and now she is a medium-sized fish in the goddamn ocean. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> now she's bait. Did you see that CNN interview where oh, they just like glorious. dragged it her? It was glorious. Like, I mean, Aaron Burnett, it was I, See, this is something, and I mean, Nicole herself occasionally uses, or, or the press rather, uses hyperbolic attributions, and, you know, she slams things a lot. Oh, my um, gosh. I know everybody's saying she got dragged on Erin Burnett. I feel like she got in a situation where she exposed exactly who she is and exactly how little principle she has. Yeah. Um, and for those who missed it, essentially, she went on Erin Burnett right after voting to overturn a Democratic election in the House, which followed on after the Capitol was ransacked by a violent mob that Trump incited. And she basically refused to acknowledge the fact that by spending the last, you know, however many weeks insisting that the election was rigged, insisting that there were irregularities that she and her fellow, I don't even know what to call it, contributed to that incitement and contributed to the violence that we saw, contributed, and I know this is you know not necessarily where our audience is on this all the time, contributed to cops getting their eyes gouged out, contributed to Capitol Police having crushed cervical discs, mm -hmm. um, having fingers torn off. There was just a video where we're doing this on the second day of the impeachment trial. Yeah. Officer Goodman, who a lot of people have seen, you know, ran up managed to lure the mob away from the Senate, which was not locked at the time. There's a video they just played where he runs down the hallway and runs into Mitt Romney and tells Mitt Romney to turn around and run in the other direction because the mob is coming. This is instigation, like... I'm going to find Nancy Pelosi. Like, again, I know our audience is not made up of people who are always fans of these folks, but they are our elected representatives. And without getting too lofty, Representative Madeline Dean just said before we started recording this, 
for the first time in 200 years, the Capitol was ransacked. I mean, I'm no fan of Mike Pence, but they wanted to hang Mike Pence. I'm enough of like a fan of Mike Pence to not want to gallows. I'm enough enough of a fan of democracy not to want to gallows our vice president. Like, and and let's be clear, like Pence and Malia Tox's LGBTQ records are both like equally in the shitter. But like, good Lord. And days after, days after this, she had the opportunity. And this is where I think most people have entered the Nicole Malitakis conversation where they jumped in, especially people in New York City as a whole and people in NY11 who maybe have never (laughs) been represented by her, jumped in on the, how does she still vote to overturn the Democratic results of Pennsylvania and Arizona, right? And this is going back to that dragging on CNN. Like, they were like, Why do you keep pushing this idea that the election was stolen? And I appreciated that drag, but Mm -hmm. my real thing is she used the validation of people's Democratic votes and she rejected them, not because she actually believed there were problems, Mm -hmm. but she said straight up it's to make a point. Mm -hmm. That's not what you do with democracy. You don't undercut democracy and throw out people's votes because you want to make a point about how later there should be hearings about this thing that you don't have any proof of. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and hold the damn hearings. Go ahead, Nicole. Like, advocate that we need to investigate this election up and down. I totally agree. If you want to investigate it, go ahead and have a shitty investigation. I but- don't even agree with that. That, you know, she's sitting up there saying that the Senate trial is a waste of resources. There were no irregularities that have any consequence whatsoever. The FBI and all of our intelligence agencies have said this was the most secure election in the history of the United States. So even entertaining that with hearings. She's an elected official, though. As an elected official, she can call for that shit. It's her right, yeah. But don't undercut actual democracy to make a soapbox for yourself. Mm -hmm. You're already a goddamn congressperson. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely unbecoming to treat it like a grade school election. And this is the thing. That's what Nicole's entire history yeah. has really been. Yeah. She's always been in the minority of any elected body she's been a part of. She was a Republican in the state assembly, which was run by Democrats for the last 10 plus years. She doesn't have to pass anything. Her whole shtick <laughs> in politics is just... Bombastic rhetoric and stunts. There's no legislative meat behind this at all. And the idea that she'd treat her first real vote as a soapbox and not something gravely important to democracy is just so her. Well, and it's funny, you know, you're saying in terms of her legislative history her lack of effectiveness and her lack of ability to get things done. Actually, exactly a month ago uh, from recording, I started a group of like-minded activists who are calling for her to resign. That is somewhat rhetorical. We are sure she will never resign. (laughs) But one of the members created this website and they have a list of all of her votes, like significant votes going back to 2011. Nice. And I would like to just take a moment and kind of walk our people through what could be an extended snapshot of how she has governed thus far. Oh, my goodness. I'm not going to read off the dates because it, it'll just be forever, but know that we're working from 2011 to the present and then into the future. As of 2011, and remember, this is her New York State votes in the New York State Assembly. Mm -hmm. Here are her votes. Authorizing an intercity bus permit system. No. 
prohibiting discrimination in wages based on gender, race, or national origin? No. Rent regulation? No. Marriage equality enactment? No. Freelance wage protection? No. Health Benefit Exchange Act? No. Authorized casino gambling? Yes. State legislative redistricting? Yes, that's because of the makeup of the assembly, a less consequential Mm -hmm. uh, vote. Let's see. Now we're into 2012. Prohibits discrimination based on gender or identity expression? No. Increase the minimum wage? No. Require firearms to have micro-stamping technology, which would help cut down gun violence, which New York City has seen a rash of in the last year? No. Let's see. She's got a a couple of things in here that uh, are kind of less relevant. Increasing the minimum wage? She voted no again in 2013. Yeah. Uh, Establish a two-year moratorium on hydraulic fracturing? No. That's fracking gas. Extend workers' benefits to farm laborers? And she said no. She didn't vote in 2014 on a bill requiring equal pay. She voted against authorizing early voting. She uh, voted against amending paid leave laws for workers. She, hysterically, I hadn't seen this one. In 2014, there was a bill to require the president to be elected by popular vote. That's the interstate compact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, She voted yes. Oh my, Nicole. Nicole thinks presidents should be, oh my God, wait, how many votes did Biden win by? Oh, come on, Nicole. A broken clock is right once a day. And Here we here's go. that other thing that going forward, I don't don't mean to interrupt this too much, but like she flips on so many issues. But let's keep going. All right. Authorized traffic cameras on Long Island. And we all know Bay Ridge. You know, we have some traffic camera issues here ourselves. Ooh, and her yeah. uh, colleague in state government, Marty Golden, blocked them for years till we voted him out. So authorizing traffic cameras on Long Island. No. God, it's just, it's the same thing over and over and over and over well, and over. Well, that's something that we're going to get to in a little bit. But, yeah, reduce yeah. the speed limit. No, in New York City. Uh, require paid family leave. All right, she was on that. Expand cigarette legislation to apply to electronic cigarettes. No. I'm going to, I'm going to screw. There's yeah. just, there's just, there's just so, so much, much But what's, I think like one of the things that you realize is like her absolute horror with workers' rights and with LGBTQ issues. And you can see how For so many years, Democrats were trying to get these things passed. When people complain about the Democrats as like a do-nothing body in New York City, it's because there was a state legislature that was shooting down a lot of these things Mm -hmm. on the Senate side, on the state Senate side. And you can see these bills coming up over and over and over again, and Nicole pro forma voting them down, even though they passed the assembly, and then they get shot down by the state Senate. And then the second that we have like an all democratic body, like Nicole has jetted out for Congress where she will be in the minority in the congressional mm-hmm. house. Now she accomplished nothing. There was no legislation that's been passed that was bipartisan. So she had a long time in a body much like the one she is in now. But Dan, there is one piece of legislation she passed. Yes, there is. So we're going to actually get into this. And this is um, probably (laughs) the thing that I'll have been advertising about this episode because it's something Mm. that's been eating away at my brain. You've you've (laughs) been doing a ton of research on this. I mean, you've you've been reaching out to all kinds of experts. You've been even reaching out to her office. You've you've done a lot of due diligence on this one. I've tried. And even I will preface all of this by saying like no amount of due diligence is going to be enough for something like this from Mm -hmm. citizen journalists. Mm -hmm. This is a big thing. And it stems down to when we were doing research for a Maliotakis episode, we were like, all right, well, what she passed? Because one of the things Maliotakis will tell you is that, yeah, maybe she hasn't passed much. Maybe she hasn't had the opportunity to because she's been in a democratically controlled legislature for so long. Socialists. 
so oh, close. they're keeping me from passing anything meaningful. How could I ever pass anything? It's like, okay, I get it. She always says that she's good at spotting the problems in democratic legislation. She'll she'll rip it apart. She'll find all these flaws. She did it with the IDNYC program. She was like, the IDNYC program is going to allow terrorists to get bank accounts and all kinds of things. She, the IDNYC like, program was not. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's to get undocumented immigrants the ability to cash checks much like we all do because they pay taxes. They might as well have a bank account, please. <laughs> she's, she's just crazy. So mm -hmm. she thinks that she can find all these flaws in Democratic legislation, and that's why her constituents should vote her into the various places that she wants to run for because she'll be a watchdog, you know? that She really likes that. I don't know how she can be a watchdog. Some of the stuff she's been tweeting today, it's like, girl, do you not even see what's in front of your own eyes? Uh, yeah. Let's go right into it. I tried to find the stuff that she passed, mm -hmm. the bipartisan legislation. I really was interested in who Nicole is as a legislator and what she might do if she actually had the power to pass legislation that was bipartisan. So I looked and there's really only one bill and it is passed repeatedly, which is weird. Um, it's passed every session. What does that bill do, Dan? Um, it, it, it has a weird title. It's about the conveyance of land mm -hmm. to the Gateway National Park or the Gateway National Recreation Area. And it's the only thing I found that she was the prime sponsor of mm -hmm. that passed both houses in the New York State Legislature. Mm -hmm. And... That confused me because I'm a fan of parks. You do like parks. I love the environment. And <laughs> I like spaces and infrastructure bikes. and urban planning and the Gateway National Park. It has all those things. It has all those things, but also it was created in the 70s. So I'm like, <laughs> why is there a bill about donating land to the Gateway National Park that's been passed in the 2019 to 2020 legislative session for the New York State Assembly. Like, because, what is because this? Because parks should always grow. Parks well, are great. That's the thing is, is that parks grow all the time. You don't need a bill to let them grow. So it confused me. Okay. Uh, so at first I was like, I'm pretty sure that Gateway National Park has finished. Uh, <laughs> let me reach out to the park service and ask them like, hey, is this bill essential? Like is land still being donated under the auspices of this bill and it's needed so we can donate small little plots of land here and there to add it piecemeal oh, okay, yeah you know like maybe they're they're still like jamaica bay wildlife refuge has like, maybe oh, small lots we, abol we abolished a parking spot have some parkland yeah so i was like hey maybe <laughs> it's for that maybe it's to keep that open and the park service was like no they, they'd responded they're like this doesn't you don't need a local state bill to donate land in fact we're getting a donation right now in jamaica bay for a small lot that in no way is affected by this bill. Hmm. So that confused me. So I looked into the actual thing that she passed a little bit more, and it's about delaying the deadline for donating land mm -hmm. by two years. And so I'm like, uh, two years? W wait, so why is a 1974 bill, did it have a deadline two years ago? And I looked back to the previous legislative session, and no, there was another one passed that pushed it two years. And I keep going back, and I keep going back. And so I found this thing, it's called a veto jacket or a bill jacket. It's a statement about like support 
all the letters of people who say, yes, you should do this, um, the, the state departments that say, you know, this is how it will affect our funding, blah, blah, blah. And it had a legislative history section. And I looked at that and it says, quote, this legislation has been introduced and signed into law every two years since 1974. Hmm. And I'm like, what's the problem? What are they pushing back if it's not to actually donate land into the National Park Service? Because, you know, you don't need a bill for that. It's part of federal law. You can well, donate and, land. You know, let's be clear. What like, is it? Like per the National Park Service. That is yeah, not something they, that they you're making up. They told me that. Like, no, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not assuming that. I, I reached out. So we decided to reach out to Nicole's office. We were like, hey, this bill, what does it do? And her legislative director, back when she was in Albany, this is, isn't when she moved to Congress. This is even before she won. So it's not like they were busy moving offices or something. They just sent us the text of the bill back. And so we were like, all right, um, maybe they don't know. <laughs> it's been passed every two years. Maybe it's just like a pro forma thing that like some lawyer was like, you got to keep passing this thing for some vague reason. And uh, it does. And I'm pretty sure that's why it's been passing. No one knows what it does. But I really wanted to know what it does. <laughs> I really wanted to know what it did, Rachel. I really, really wanted to know. So I started digging around in libraries digitally. Um, a lot of libraries have digitized a lot of their content and made things available since the pandemic. So it's just me on a computer digging through shit. Here's what I got. And this is the story of this weird bill. So it goes back to this Republican state senator from Staten Island named John Marchi. He died in 2009, but he's a legend on the island. He is widely known as the father of secession. When you hear about Staten Island wanting to remove itself from New York City to secede, this mm. is the guy who got that ball rolling. Oh, like, boy. it's this dude. So that recent? <laughs> no, he's been around for a while. He goes back to the 70s. Oh, he just okay. died recently, but he was passing bills like he was... He only retired in 2006. So it was this guy's desire to make Staten Island an independently functioning borough. And that's what led him in the 70s to push for large-scale development on the south shore of Staten Island. He wanted to create what is known as the South Richmond Development Corporation. And all this came to a head when the Rouse Company wanted to build what essentially would have been Battery Park City, but in Annadale, Staten Island, just west of where the Gateway National Park ends at Great Kills. That famously dense part of Staten Island. <laughs> yes, yes. And it was. And I, mean it was that, I mean that as, as in terms of housing capacity and, and I know. development, not as a comment on anything. No, no. And like the Lindsay administration, John Lindsay was the mayor at this time, they had like been identifying areas throughout the city that could accommodate the city's housing crisis. A housing crisis? That sounds similar to today. It's because we never solved it because a lot of this doesn't happen. So basically, the Rouse Company, they wanted to build basically Battery Park City on Staten Island. It was termed the South Richmond New Town Plan, which is the area that was on the South Shore. And it would have had apartment buildings built on landfill out into the bay, much like Battery Park City. It would have been high density and low density mixed in together. Even more critically, it would have had mixed price points, mm -hmm. which is to say for the 70s, it would have been integrated. Public housing was also proposed on the South Shore. Like, mm -hmm. let that sink in for a second. Is there no is there no public housing on the South Shore? Very little public housing anywhere in very racially segregated Staten Island. So there'd also be transit to get them there. There would be hydrofoils. Think, you know, fancy ferries. And a what? Press, a, yeah, they wanted to do the ferry system in the 70s. That's really cool. <laughs> to get people onto the South Shore for these dense developments. They wanted a sky bus 
on the Verrazano. I want to sky bus on the Verrazano. It just sounds so cool. I looked it up. It's this kind of bus developed by Westinghouse in the 70s. It's like a people mover, or it's really just a bus that runs on a monorail track. And that would go over the Verrazano. Like, so this, cool. these were things that they had intended on... Our own, our own little Roosevelt Island track. <laughs> yeah, we would run from Bay Ridge out onto the South Shore. So cool. Um, but it also, this development, it had a mind toward aesthetics. It was supposed to be high-density development with suburban qualities. One example that was built is Village Greens in Arden Heights on Staten Island, which wasn't entirely a success. Lots of critics derided it as too cramped, that it was like suburban tract-style homes, but they were like jammed together, quote-unquote, cheek by jowl, and it the aesthetics didn't really fit. But the important thing to say is they were going for affordable housing, without necessarily urbanizing the island. It was supposed mm-hmm. to keep the characteristic of Staten Island while they expected add 450,000 residents Whoa. to the island through this plan. In affordable housing. In affordable housing, mixed development. So it would be mixed Damn. income. It would be some high, some low. But importantly for a very segregated city at the time and today, that would crack it wide open in Mm -hmm. terms of racial diversity. And just so you know what the demographics and population of the island were at that time, in the 70s, Staten Island's population was 300,000. And we're talking 450,000 residents proposed additionally additionally as part of this plan. So more than doubling the island's population. Mm -hmm. Even today, it is only about 450,000, maybe a little bit higher than that. Well, and let's really quickly, let's just pause there. Like, this plan also because the first reaction to it, oh my God, how are you going to fit that many people? Congestion, traffic, the public transit was part of this plan. Mixed use development part of this plan. So it's not like it was just being dropped on. Yeah. If you've ever heard those rumors of like they wanted to build a subway to Staten Island, like this is why. It's like (laughs) to let this kind of stuff happen. Like we're talking about sky buses and ferries and hydrofoils, but like subways were part of it and all this. And the transit was really important. Basically, if that had gone through, these two and a half, three hour round trip commutes we hear about people having to take from the South Shore would be a thing of, literally a thing of the past. It would have been a thing of the past. The things that Staten Islanders love to complain about wouldn't have happened (laughs) if they had developed higher because they would have become an essential borough. Yep. And that senator was a GOP senator. Marchi was GOP. He was Republican. He wanted Mm -hmm. Staten Island to not be the forgotten borough. Right. Um, and he wanted to secede or become so important that it could stand on its own. And this was one of the ways of doing that. So the Rouse Company, which developed a lot of the overall plans, but also some of the small development plans for this, they were really well known at the time for projects like this. We know them today for their markets and marketplaces. So the Staten Island Mall, that's them. Mm-hmm. South Street Seaport in the 80s, the big redo of the South mm. Street Seaport in the 80s, that was them. So they were familiar with the city and the city kind of liked them. But their big claim to fame was community development, planned community development. Mm -hmm. And they had a big national track record of planned community. So they built entire towns out of thin air across the country. So they knew what they were doing. And their big recommendation was to use a land bank to basically eminent domain and gobble up small unused lots, of which Mm -hmm. Staten Island had a lot in the 70s. Um, This is just after the Verrazano Bridge is built. So it still hasn't really Mm -hmm. developed that much. And they wanted to, like, gather things together and build developable tracts mm-hmm. and then set others aside for these green parklands that would ring around them. 
but it would mostly be dedicated for housing. I think it was supposed to be like 50% housing, mm -hmm. maybe 20% parkland and the rest institutional, if I remember their 1970s plan correctly mm -hmm. off the top of my head. I've been doing a lot of research on this. <laughs> um, interestingly, this is where Bay Ridge kind of comes in a little bit. Um, not very much, but a little bit. Because the Conservative Party had just been formed not more than a decade previously. And the Conservative Party is a state-specific party to New York City, basically the GOP, but more conservative. Um, and uh, in the 1980s, they moved their statewide headquarters here to Bay Ridge. Eric Kassar, who used to be Marty Golden's major domo, ever since we kicked him to the curb, he's gone off and advised Nicole Maliotakis. So, <laughs> you know, let's just keep that in mind because... The Conservative Party are the folks who would know the actual long history of this bill. So just keep that in mind. As one of the people who's the chair of the party that kind of has a role to play here, there's institutional memory. So more things where Nicole can't quite say she doesn't know what she's voting on. But anyway, in the 70s, the Conservative Party was only a decade old. They led the charge against the GOP Senator Marchi and these development plans because they allied with leftist environmentalists, uh, many of whom happened many of whom happened to be white, they allied with them and waged a really intense fight over local zoning controls, forcing development plans through community boards where they could be bogged down and picked apart piecemeal. And so like, the liberals were brought in to decry the loss of natural land. Mm. And there were fears that the government would eminent domain private homes and kick out grandma and all that jazz. But that was all window dressing. State Senator Marchie himself, a Republican, I remind you, got right to the heart of it when he stated that they, quote, played the racial card down there. Really? It was about Where did he, the, say he, that? he said that in his private letters that are available at the College of Staten wow. Island. So he identified it as it is a racist, fear mongering thing that this mixed income development was going to bring black people into the lily white portions of Staten Island. And he said that as the person who was pushing to pass the bill and... Yes. And the Conservative Party was denying him their party line. They were getting other state assembly people. He was in the state Senate. They're getting assembly people to kind of turn on this plan. And they were drumming up wow. all of this support locally, this nimbyism. And I've droned a lot about this. What the heck does this have to do with the Gateway National Park? the Gateway National Recreation Area, as they call it today. What does this have to do with Nicole Malliotakis's bill? Well, simultaneously to these proposals, the National Park Service decided to build its first urban national park. So this is right after the civil rights era, and the National Park Service realized that a lot of its funding and focus really goes toward massive national parks that are inaccessible to city dwellers, mm -hmm. and specifically people of color. So the Gateway National Park was created and so named because it was to be the national park that everyone could get to right on the doorstep of New York City. And it spreads out to Jersey, Jamaica Bay Wildlife Refuge, the South Shore, beaches on Staten Island, Great Kills Park to Fort Wadsworth and the Verrazano Bridge, the Sandy Hook across the Raritan Bay in New Jersey. It's basically the northernmost point of the Jersey Shore, Floyd Bennett Field, Canarsie Pier, Shirley Chisholm State Park. This idea was first floated by the RPA, which, if you remember in last year's Triborough Rail Line episode, they floated that idea too. But the Staten Island section of this almost mm -hmm. did not happen because locals fought hard against it. And Senator Marchi was among them, who was pro-development plans but did not want this national park coming into Staten Island. And the Conservative Party also really disliked it because 
of something very key to the Gateway National Park, which is transit access. It's one thing to build these parks out on the edges of New York City's shorelines. It's another thing to get people there. Mm -hmm. So there was this huge transit component that was really revolutionary, and it would have low fare ferry systems linking all of the various parts of the park across the water. So you could go to Shirley Chisholm State Park and take a ferry to Sandy Hook and then take a ferry to the beaches on Staten Island and then take a ferry to Floyd Bennett Field. They would expand subway access. They were going to build new subways to get people to these parks. A a new marine parkway bridge was part Mm -hmm. of it, too. And this is where a really interesting strategy takes place, as far as I can tell. Marchi bows to the Conservative Party demands. They threaten him by taking him off the party line. He acquiesces. So Marchi shelves his Economic Development Corporation and assists in killing the Rouse Company's development plans for the island. And one of the ways it gets killed, and just one of them because this is a big plan, we're just talking about the South Shore here, Mm -hmm. is that they allow the Gateway National Park to go through. Because the Gateway National Park is on very similar or the same land that this development was supposed to be on. Hmm. Part of it, Great Kills Park, was literally part of this development corporation's plan. Mm -hmm. So if it's owned by the feds, it can't be developed. It's a national park. You can't build on it, and you certainly can't house mixed-income people on it. Gosh, if only if only Donald Trump had been in office, they could have drilled for oil there. This hamstrings all the redevelopment proposals, um, mm-hmm. which relied on the high-density development, especially it was supposed to be built out on landfill, out on the water, you know, like mm-hmm. Battery Park City. The problem, though, is that they're out of the frying pan into the fire. I just said that the Gateway National Park Plan had tons of transit options to get people of color to these parks. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden you're going to be building ferry systems that bring black people to the South Shore. That's Mm -hmm. what they were concerned about at the time. And that was the problem with this. The Conservative Party, the GOP, Republicans on the island in general, lots of NIMBYs, and just like in general white homeowners. Like Mm -hmm. in general, let's be clear. There is Mm -hmm. lots of racism endemic to the island and that can't be turned away. You know how this ends if you've ever tried to get to the Gateway National Park? That transit stuff doesn't happen. It's the Nixon administration. It's stripped out. They strip all of the transit provisions out. The mayor, Lindsay, is like begging the federal government to get the funds for these things. They're, they're just all cut, which just leaves the parkland, which can halt development. But all of the intended beneficiaries, the urban poor, just do not get access to it. That's how it pans out. Right. And now this isn't the big story. I've laid the groundwork for the bit. <laughs> wait, wait, that's a pretty big story. Yeah, because there's a bigger not, story. Not a story and, that has a ton to do with Nicole Malia talk, because no, it's a big story. <laughs> but, and there's a bigger story, and that is going to take an entire book to really get into. And oh luckily, there is a book being written about this. One of the people that I contacted to get some background on this, Dr. Patrick Nugent, he's writing a book titled The Green Lining of Staten Island, Ecological Preservation and Racial Segregation in Postwar New York City. I spoke with Dr. Nugent for a lot of the background I needed to piece this together. But to put it quickly, one of the key ways that Staten Island halted the expansion of black neighborhoods island-wide was a complex process of community board land reviews, legal tricks, and land donations that transformed sites intended for integrated housing into parkland. Essentially weaponizing environmentalism and reviving illegal redlining procedures into what he calls greenlining. The 1970s version of redlining. 
Basically, if a project was going to get built, much like how the gateway ate up some land used for that Rouse company development, mm -hmm. local communities could kill projects that threatened the racial makeup of a neighborhood by petitioning and donating the land that was going to be developed and turn it into a park instead. There were legal and civic mechanisms that fast-tracked this process, which made mm -hmm. it institutional racism. Again, for more on that, look forward to Dr. Nugent's book. He's writing it now. It was based on his 2017 dissertation. I'm really excited to read all yeah. about this because this is not just South Shore. This is island-wide. And we're not even touching on how this actually happens. Like, that is way too complex to get into. How recent is that research? His dissertation was 2017. So he's, oh, wow. re he's doing it now. This is new right. stuff. Four years ago. Cutting edge research on the history of Staten Island right. and how it was used. Right. And racial segregation in New York City. As far as I know, this bill that I'm talking about, Dr. Nugent didn't know about this bill. I'm the one really, oh, really? picking this apart. I was piecing together, like, why there would be land donation through mm -hmm. this bill, like, why it would still be around. And you can kind of see where I'm going with this. I want to actually read the bill jacket for the 2000 version of the bill, S6321, which states the justification for the bill. Mm -hmm. It's to quote, the process of assembling the scattered properties situated in three of the city's counties in New Jersey, which will ultimately comprise Gateway, is not yet implemented in part because the plan to create the park has taken into account the need for input from the communities it will adjoin as well as those it will serve. I want to break in just a little bit there and say that's a weird dichotomy to say the communities it will adjoin as well as those it will serve is like saying the loud part quiet and the quiet part loud. The thing <laughs> is, is that this is not a description that's in modern versions of the bill. This is back in oh, 2000. You don't get this description now. It continues and says, as amended, this legislation would mandate the timely applicable community board and borough board notification and review of any future property to be ceded or conveyed as part of Gateway. So the idea is that by keeping this bill live and keep pushing the deadline for donating land, it keeps this 1974 state law in effect. You don't need it to donate land, but it has stipulations that requires community board input, that requires borough board input, that mm -hmm. requires public review before anything can get processed. And I deeply suspect, and I don't have lots of solid stuff on this because it is a quagmire. It is basically a loophole to make sure that there are these small little mechanisms for local nimbyist control mm -hmm. to donate land or trigger land donations or stop land donations and put them into the Gateway National Cruise. When I contacted the Parks Department, and when you look at the original plans for Gateway, they're done. This is mm -hmm. in 2000, and it said this bill is because Gateway isn't done yet. It's done. They are donated. So why keep it open? And then at the very end there, it mentions the community board review. It mentions borough board review. It mentions that there needs to be these local controls to donate land. Is this singular to the Gateway National Park or is this a statewide application where, you know, if, if they want to expand no. Letchworth, this you know, is they want singular to the Gateway National Park. Really? It is singular to the Gateway National Recreation hmm. Area. It is only applies to this. In right. fact, there were like debates in the veto jackets about like, can't we just use what we did with, um, oh, what's the name of the beach? Fire Island. Fire Island, okay. Can't we use like Fire Island's legislative language to be able to do this? And they're like, no, because here's the thing, like by pushing back the deadline for land donations, this bill, I'm pretty sure, and I could be wrong, 
is keeping open a means for local community groups to donate land or stop the donation of land into Gateway in case anything like the Rouse Project ever came up again. In case the South Shore ever saw the hint of integrated development on its plentifully available land. And, and this is the same South Shore where on January 3rd, 2021, there were flyers claiming Antifa was a Jewish communist militia. South Shore where three teenagers ran down a Liberian immigrant with a car and beat him nearly to death with a metal pipe over their anger that Barack Obama was just elected Jesus. November 4th, 2008. Or good God, in 2003 when white teens attacked a black woman from New Jersey who decided to visit, you guessed it, Great Kills Park on Staten Island, part of the Gateway National Recreation Area, they slashed her and her friends with a knife and a sickle. Oh, I'm, yeah. A this, sickle. Yeah. So I'm done playing with this, you know? And I need to pause here and say, and do my due diligence that this is my interpretation. I'm not a legal scholar. I have read the 1974 state bill that stipulates all these fun specifics, I've reached out to Nicole's Albany office way before she made her way to Congress from the National Park Service, but I'm still not going to say with certainty that that's what this particular bill is intended to do. But everything I've learned because of it has angered me deeply, mm -hmm. deeply. Mm -hmm. It's plausible that Nicole passing this bill is just blind traditionalism. You know, mm -hmm. she inherited it. Someone has to keep passing it, but who knows why? I'm not going to ask why. Maybe Nicole had no idea what she was sponsoring, you even though why. You in, the why times. <laughs> in the 2019 to 2020 session, it was the only bill she was the prime sponsor of that passed, A08150, or the 2017-2018 session, where it was the only bill she was the prime sponsor of that passed, A04864, or the 2015-2016 session, where it was only one of two bills that she was the prime sponsor of that passed, A05614. 2013 to 2014, when it was only one of two. 2011 to 2012, where she co-sponsors it with then-Assemblymember Lewis Tobacco, also of Staten Island, which is how she got involved in this in the first place. It's hmm. been the duty of a local Staten Island state assembly person to pass this every two years since 1970. Wow. It's, it's sketchy as hell. It's just sketchy. You have reached out to her office multiple times. I have sent them an email. I got a copy of the bill text back. It's not as if there has not been an opportunity for her office to clarify their intentions and the purpose of this bill. While, you know, you've said and we are acknowledging, you know, this is an interpretation, this is an analysis of this bill, there has been utter silence from the yeah. person who, who put her name on it every two years. And I fully expect after this episode, Maliotakis will put us on blast and say that the sun shines out of this bill's ass. <laughs> And that it's for the parks, and it's for the nature, and that she's the Lorax, and she speaks for the trees. And no, 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 we have it all wrong. And you know, maybe we are. It's possible. I'm happy to be wrong on this because it pisses me off so deeply that there's right. still something like this hanging around, a vestige yeah. of this racism. Of the almost four years that we've been making this podcast, if this were the first time we were egregiously wrong, that would be welcome. If we're wrong... Nicole shares in the blame for that wrongness. She could have <laughs> corrected us multiple times here. We reached out to her again in December before she left saying, listen, there's something sketchy about this bill and we're doing an episode on it. Please comment. Mm -hmm. Nothing. So as far as I'm concerned, I've heard only one other theory about what this could be. Mm -hmm. And it involves a reversion clause in the 1974 bill. 
Basically, it goes like this. By keeping the land donations open and pushing back the date, it forestalls a clause in the original 70s bill that says if the land isn't maintained as part of a national park, it will revert back to the city. It was Senator Marchie's final little loophole. He couldn't quite let go of his economic development corporation. And he didn't believe that the feds were going to build a park. Surely if those two clauses are completely separate and, you know, prefacing with I'm not a const- I'm not a legal scholar, blah, blah, blah. It's, I think it's all wrapped up in the same bill. Well, but you'd think you could do an amendment that would just change that bit. That's true, because <laughs> in the actual bill jackets for the original 74 bill, a lot of groups are like, hey, this whole idea of reversion clause, that's kind right. of vague. Like the state state department um, was like, yeah, this is a little off. We can fix this next legislative session with an amendment. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a lot of them were like, all the problems with the bill can be fixed next session with a single amendment. And instead, they just renewed the whole thing. <laughs> that also kind of rings of Albany, you know? Like, they mm-hmm. didn't actually fix it. It's just like the way of fixing it is to pass Aww. it every two years. I get it. I could be wrong about the whole racism angle. And it's really just this, this reversion clause. Because basically, if the feds fail to deliver on the park, Marchie would have gotten his land back, including underwater land, which critically is what you want when you want to put up landfill and put apartments on it. So maybe it's just to delay this from triggering. But if so, why? The feds have already delivered. It's a park. The language is vague anyway. You could easily argue, eh, it's a national park. It doesn't revert. Or maybe they don't want it to revert because they could then build affordable housing on it, which, again, is kind of racist. Like, well, it, yeah, there's I don't know. The, the, one, of, one of the angles is maybe there are like donors to the GOP who like this land kind of being in limbo. And they're like dumpers, well, they're, like illegal trash dumpers. And they right. like it being a national park, which means the city can't do shit. But the National Park Service doesn't have enough money to maintain it or clean it. So, like, maybe some weird dumpers are giving Nicole money. I don't know. What I'm hearing, and correct me if I've misunderstood anything, is that even if there is some other intention for this bill, yeah, the purpose that it thwarts was acknowledged by the person who tried to pass that program yeah who have roots in racism yeah explicitly development of staten island and where all of this kind of stems from and there's so much circumstantial evidence around this that just makes it really sketchy and i'm sorry to our listeners that i don't have like a more concrete answer to it it's just so labyrinthine i hope that other journalists pick it up like Mm -hmm. if any journalists are listening um Go and run with it. Um, find some more experts. <laughs> Email Dan. He'll give you all his research. <laughs> yeah, I have I have those um, veto bill slips and all that. Like some of those were digitized. Some of them aren't. I am waiting for COVID to be over so I can go to the College of Staten Island and personally dig through wow. Senator Marchie's papers, much like I want to go to Virginia and do some stuff on Lee, which we did in our mm-hmm. um, uh, Racist Monuments in Bay Ridge episode. Nicole keeps saying that she can find all the problems in these democratic bills Mm -hmm. and no matter what the answer is with this bill she clearly doesn't look at herself and what she passes herself and it's not like she has an excuse because it's the only thing she passed for multiple legislative sessions it was the only thing with her name on it what's what's the budget for an assembly office again because gosh that seems like money that uh got spent <laughs> yeah and that they email us back and are like here's just what the bill says here's the bill yes, like the what bill you think the that internet. the legislative office in that didn't have the time to look into the one thing she sponsored and passed 
and that they didn't have an answer for us as to what it was. What a way to treat your constituents. Mm -hmm. And now she's a congressperson and she's responsible for how many people? About 780,000 people. Yeah. It's really disturbing. And this is beyond all of the grandstanding. And when she was running for mayor, chasing de Blasio around with a can of Red Bull. I always laugh when people on Twitter are like, you should run for mayor. And it's like, she didn't. She She lost to one of the most hated mayors in New York City history. But Dan, was he the worst mayor in New York City He was not the worst mayor in New York City. Oh, I don't want to go into the Civil War. I don't want to go into Fernando Wood right now. I've had enough racism from my elected officials for the day. Um, to talk about, you know, Fernando Wood, one of the other local New York City politicians who advocated for secession and overthrowing <laughs> democracy. There we Nicole, go. Nicole, you're following, She's just following the tradition. Good God. Oh my God. Gotta so, laugh or I'll cry. So, I mean, I hope that we've given like some new stuff. I do want to wrap up this episode with a little bit of fun stuff, too. Let's fast forward to her being elected to Congress. What, what's what been happening in the last few days, Rachel? You've been leading this oh, resign Maliotakis hashtag. She did a horrible sketch of Reagan. Oh, God. That is the least of what's happening. <laughs> I'm, I'm an artist, and I'm not one to shit on anyone's artistic quality. People even outside of Bay Ridge were not impressed. <laughs> but then she followed up the next day. Here's another drawing, and it was Teddy Roosevelt, the great progressive. It, like she had a Teddy the, Roosevelt just, the, like, stored. I don't know. For- I don't know. I, don't know. I, I mean, it's it's silly. It's nowhere close to, like, important, but it's just... The real problem and the real thing that, that we're seeing, and this is the same pattern she followed in Albany, is that she consistently tries to distract from the fact that she's not doing anything. And yeah. since going to Washington, that's become even worse. Her first vote was to overturn the results of the election. Yeah, She went on Aaron Burnett on CNN. She got absolutely destroyed. And since then, I'm pretty sure we've only seen her on OANN and on Fox. Yeah. I personally, this is a personal opinion, I don't think she had any idea what she was getting into when she put herself in the national spotlight. And I think that what we are seeing over and over is that she is going to be a mouthpiece for the GOP talking points. She is going to hold herself up as some kind of anti-AOC. Well, I'm sorry, AOC actually proposed some big, bold programs. And is working on getting them passed. You can't just name yourself the Freedom Squad. Number yeah, one, you don't fries. name your own squad. Oh, my God. Yeah, Number one. Part of a squad, Nicole, it's the Sedition Squad. Sorry. Yeah. There's also, like, the things that she's taking credit for, the things that she's taking aim at. There have been all these developments with COVID and the vaccine, and those are because of the Biden administration, not due to Donald Trump, who endorsed her and who she embraced after saying, years ago, after being Marco Rubio's New York State chair for his yeah. presidential election, saying she was a never-Trumper saying in the mayoral that she wasn't going to support Trump and she didn't yeah. support Trump. She didn't vote for Trump. And then she turns around and you have never seen a bigger Trump booster. If you go look at the Resign Maliotakis website that this volunteer put up, she's on stage at a Trump rally with that ridiculous image of him, like, you know, ripped muscles. And like, it's like, are you kidding me? Talks about unity. And then she turns around and takes swipes at Joe Biden. She talks about wanting to protect her Jewish constituents. And then she turns around and propagates a conspiracy theory that's a GOP talking point against Eric Swalwell that they're trying to use to undermine him in the impeachment hearings. And it's so clear that she doesn't believe any of this shit. It's opportunistic. Two or three times today, she was like, 
Congress gave New York State money to reopen schools. They're not. They should give it back. Why are you trying to take billions of dollars away from the New York City schools and from the New York State schools? She doesn't think about repercussions. Then she says, for the last few days, I've been working on getting more vaccine sites. Great. You know what? It's the 10th of February. You've been in office since the beginning of January. Glad you finally got around to it when you're representing the borough that has one of the highest COVID rates in the city. Well, she's been office as a state assembly person. Mm -hmm, She mm -hmm. had the time. She photoshopped herself giving away like COVID (laughs) supplies. Please give me an absolute break. This is meaningless. it's it's, It's shameful and shocking and she should really not be in government. She should go back to lobbying for National Grid, which is where Hmm. she started. Go back to that, Nicole. I think I'd much rather you screwing me over with my utility bill. (laughs) Right after the insurrection, there was a rally outside her office in Bay Ridge that the Bay Ridge Democrats put together. And, you know, we had a lot of visiting uh, elected officials and candidates for office. I will actually give Chris McCray a little shout out. He had a great line. He said, you know, Never before has our district been this dishonored this quickly by a member of Congress. We had Michael Grimm, an actual indicted criminal. Before it was New York 11, Vito Fisella and his two families. For once in her life, Nicole outdid them all. And there's two things that I'd like to touch on before we end. And Mm -hmm. one is about the insurrection. Here's the thing behind her, I'm not inciting these people to violence crap, which is that she's done that before. Mm -hmm. She's done it before when she was in the state assembly. Very, very early on, I think a lot of the older progressives in the neighborhood who have been activists since the very beginning of Trump, remember, there was the IDNYC stuff, which we spoke about earlier. Mm -hmm. There was a protest on the island against Nicole Malliotakis for her position on the IDNYC program. And there were people who were going to march past her house. And Nicole sent letters to every one of her neighbors for multiple blocks that there was going to be a mob coming to the neighborhood and that they should get ready and that she apologized that they had to be there, that they came to target her. But, you know, just so you know, there are going to be some outsiders coming in. Mm -hmm. Police had to escort that protest through her neighborhood. Imagine if anything happened. She knows the power of that and she's on the South Shore. There's already a pattern of behavior of her inciting lawless riots with Max Barr. And, you know, Daniel Presti ran over a police officer with his- New York City Sheriff. Yeah, sorry, New York City Sheriff broke both that man's legs. Nicole, who railroaded Max Rose out of office on a lie about defunding the police. Yeah claiming to be the law and order candidate, claiming that she was, you know, backing the blue, all that, you know, she led marches in Diker Heights that incited basically race riots in Diker Heights. She knows the power of doing this because she immediately after Daniel Presti ran that guy over, she stopped talking about it. She never yeah. condemned him. Even Leticia Romero, who's running for Staten Island Borough President right now, was captured on video screaming Nazi slogans at Max Barr. Nicole has still not committed to not endorsing her. Yeah. Ramoro was her campaign manager. And actually, I just realized this the other day when this story about Leticia Ramoro broke, newspapers reached out to Nicole and the response from kind of Maliotakis world was that this woman had not had a significant role, had not been closely involved. In 2017... Folks who've, who've known me a while will remember that I was verbally harassed by a Maliotakis volunteer. I remember that. We 
reached out to members of the Republican Party in Bay Ridge and asked them, please let her know this is not acceptable. She claimed it had been dealt with. There is some question of whether or not that volunteer was continuing to work with her. But she told me, reach out to my campaign manager. And that was Letitia Romero. You're kidding. Oh my gosh. I can can go back and probably find the DM, but she never responded. I wish I had remembered that when those stories were coming out. That reminds me of like the weird separation between her campaign and her office. That Goya food drive, which was like just such a great opportunity for her to have a PR stunt Mm -hmm. where she did a food drive for her constituents, but she only accepted Goya food products. We reached out to her office and asked if someone brings in other than Goya, will you still accept it? No response from them. They did not respond to a constituent. They did not respond as a journalistic inquiry. As far as I know, they just didn't want to take any food that could have gone into hungry people's mouths if it didn't fit in with her PR shtick of supporting Goya and doing a Trump thing. And in that food distribution, it's her campaign ads up on the back. It's not her office. It's not her legislative role. Mm-hmm. She made a mockery out of feeding hungry people in the middle of a crisis. That's just sick. Like, there are people who probably didn't donate because it was clearly, one, a campaign event. Mm-hmm. And two, it was like a Trump PR stunt for Goya. And you're not going to actually run a real food drive? Luckily, our community and the grassroots in New York 11... They're doing that work. Do so much work on that. You know, I mean, we've talked about Brooklyn Immigrant Community Services. There's South Brooklyn Mutual Aid, I think. Um, You know, these are people who want to help, who want to do good things, who are doing good things. And I don't know, the whole thing's just sad. This is all just, just so depressing. For the people who live in this district, it's, it's just sad. And that we have someone who tries to be so entertaining, but can be so depressing. Well, government's not for entertaining people. It's for uh, maintaining the social contract, which she obviously cares nothing about. We can go on about Nicole for hours and hours and hours and hours. All day. And, All day. But this uh, is just a small snippet of just like the disappointment that yeah. ebbs tonight from NY11 and will certainly ebb for the next two years until we kick her the hell out. Yep. We did it with Donovan. We'll do it with you, Nicole. You know, if people want to get involved in that, check out the hashtag ResignMaliatakis on Twitter. Some of the volunteers took it on themselves to set up Facebook pages, Twitter accounts. Let's do this. We, we know how to organize in this district. We know how to get bad representatives out of office. Let's do it. All right. So everyone, follow us on Radio Free BR on Twitter. We're on Facebook, RadioFreeBayRidge.org. I'll have a lot of the information about the bill that I was able to find. Engage with us, DM us. We have a Patreon up in case you want to just throw a buck our way. It's just to keep the podcast running. We don't take a cent out of it. It's just going right back into our hosting stuff. And more importantly, follow your elected officials, Democrat or Republican. Dig into what they do. It's amazing how much a single person can find because people aren't looking at the local. Our local newspapers and things have been gobbled up. It's the time for citizens to get involved in what's going on and pay attention and do your due diligence. Really try to work it out. I can't stress that enough. And if you don't really have that kind of time, you can just stay subscribed to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time, everyone. Stay free, Bay Ridge. (laughs) 